0: Well, there was a big secret that was being kept in Tampa, Florida, all throughout the 80s and the 90s that people didn't find out about until 2003. It's a story involving two families, the Cones and the Carlsons, two families. Um, one of those guys, Douglas Cone, uh, the husband of one of these families, was a highway developer. He was building highways. He making a lot of money. He became a multimillionaire and his family was living in a very, very affluent part of the city. They were sending their kids to this school called the Berkeley Academy, which was this private school. They were donating to this school so much so that they named a building after the Cohn family. There was another family on the other side of Tampa Bay, also very affluent, also very wealthy, the Carlson family. Don Carlson was married to his wife, Hillary. They had two kids. The Cohns had three were five kids amongst all of them. They all went to the, the Berkeley Academy and the Carlsons gave a lot of money to the school, and the Carlsons had a building named after them. And in 2003, sadly, uh, one of the wives died, Jean Ann. That was um, Jean Ann Cohn. She was married to Douglas. Uh, she died. The other family, Carlsons, uh, Hillary was a little bit younger. She lived a little bit longer. Don was actually uh, a secret worker with the government. So he had one of those jobs that if people said, what do you do for work? He's like, I, I can't really tell you. But he traveled a lot for business so he was gone from home a lot same thing really with douglas cone he was gone because he was building these highways so both these men were gone and in 2003 Jean ann dies a wife of 51 years with douglas cone and all of a sudden a secret came out here's the secret douglas cone was don carlson they were the same person this guy had two families on two different sides of tampa Bay sending his kids, both sets of his kids, to the same school, donating to the same school, having a building named after his real name, Douglas Cohn, and his alias, Don Carlson. He had two families. And his first wife never found out because she, she died. She died of carbon monoxide poisoning, which is what happens if you basically park your car in your garage and you keep it running. She died of taking in those, those fumes that she wasn't supposed to take in and... Um, and Douglas seemed to get away with it. That is until he had some mutual friends, the Carlsons and the Cohn's had some mutual friends. And when there was a funeral and when there was a subsequent official wedding between Don and his wife, Hillary, that's the second family, it's the alias, there were all these mutual friends that showed up to the wedding. It was in fact a bridesmaid is the one who found out and said, wait a minute, Don? You're married to a guy named Don? That's your husband? That's, that's Douglas, that's Jeanne's husband. And all of a sudden, this guy's life that he built fell apart. This guy was a multimillionaire. Both of his wives, <laughs> it's weird to say, uh, but both of his wives drove Rolls Royces, the same kind of Rolls Royce car, by the way. He, you know, I probably bought it from the same place. I don't know how that all worked out. The dealer's like, this one's for my wife. Oh, this one's for my wife. Maybe he thought the wife crashed the car. I don't know how that all worked, but he had two lives Think about that. That's really hard to imagine, right? Today, be hard to pull off. That was in 2003 that it all came out. So in the 80s and 90s, for over 20 years, this guy lived a double life, had two families, two sets of kids, two houses, two cars, like all of it. And his first wife didn't find out. But the secret came out because obviously that kind of thing, you can't really keep a secret forever. Double lives end up getting found out. Also, if... The other side finds out, which they did, right? Hillary found out, you've been married to this other lady for 51 years? You have three kids? When you find out that someone you have been loving and living with or whatever has been living a double life, then all of the love and the cards and the affection and the vacations and the trips all feel pretty hollow now that you're like, you were a faker the whole time. And here's the thing with us. It's hard for us to know if the people we're dealing with live a double life, right? Like you can't see their heart. You can't see right through it. And all of a sudden now, you know, your friends are like living a double life, right? They're they're married to two sets of people. Like that's, you can't really figure that out the same way that God can, right? And that's the funny thing is that many of us, we don't live double lives when it comes to having two sets of families, but many of us live a double life when it comes to our internal relationship with God, our private life what other people don't know about, right? You have that life. And then you have your external life, your friends, your family, the way that you treat people, the the, the things you do at church, the service that you do. You have two lives. Everybody does, a private and a public life, an internal and an external life, right? But some of us have a double life where we're putting on a show for everybody on the outside, but what's going on on the inside is completely different. And I want to make the argument this morning that it is just as offensive to God If you try to live a double life, because here's the thing, God sees right through it, right? The thing about these families is this all came out after someone died. Like Jean Ann never found out that her husband was living a double life, as sad as that is. Married to this guy for 51 years, didn't know he had another family. But God sees right through all the hypocrisy of our hearts. God is not impressed by anything you do if it's done from the wrong motives, You can't expect God to give you a thumbs up or even be pleased with even reading your Bible if you're doing it to impress other people or giving generously. You could be a person who gives really generously and gives to everybody, but if the motive in your heart for doing it is because you want people to praise you, God's word says, and Jesus, particularly in a passage today, says, what reward do you think you have from God? Like, do you think you're fooling God? Do you think you can live a double life and God doesn't know you think you can live like a Christian on the outside with your friends and at church, but on the inside, your heart is full of all this sin that's never confessed, never moved on from. Like, do you think that you can do that? The answer is you can't do that because God knows. And then the end, at least like the passage we read earlier, God will separate the sheep from the goats, the people who are really with him, heart and soul and life, and the people who just play pretend. That's why this morning, we're jumping back into the Sermon on the Mount, and I want you to get that serious image of a double life, and I want you to look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. So turn to Matthew 6 real quick. We're going to look at this this morning. We're going to look at four verses, but the first verse is probably one of the most important so far in the Sermon on the Mount. This verse stands between the two sections we've just been talking about. The last section was where Jesus would quote the Bible, and he says, you've heard that it was said of old, don't murder Don't commit adultery, right? The different rules that God has. And he says, but I say to you, if you're someone who breaks those rules internally, you're still guilty before God. So all of those rules that he was talking about all have to do with your relationship with other people. That's why the last series was called True Community, as in how can you live in a community of people in the way that God really wants? How can you do it the right way? Now, this series, as you see on the top of your worksheet, is called True Devotion, because God is going to tell us in these uh, few verses right here, Jesus turns the corner and says, what about your relationship with God? What about the secret stuff? Right? How can you have a real, genuine relationship with God? You know, there's three areas in Judaism that people would show their personal relationship with God. The first was something called almsgiving, which was like, where there's really poor people in their community and they would give money to them to support them because they couldn't work and they didn't have family members that could support them. So that was one way the Jews would show, like, I'm devoted to God because I give to these really poor people, okay? The other way was by praying, right? That sounds pretty familiar, right? That's a way that people can show, yes, I have a genuine relationship with God because I pray. And the other was something we don't do very much, but God's word talks about a lot, is something called fasting by saying, I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to drink. I'm going to abstain from something for a while with my body. Some people look at this and say, it's like, you know, when it comes to giving, it's we're helping others on the outside and praying. That's our heart. And then, you know, fasting that has to do with our body. So it kind of covers all the realm of our life with God. And Jesus picks up those three things. And he says, do you want to talk about almsgiving? There's a way to do that rightly. And there's a way to do that wrongly. There's a way that you can give and get honor from God, and God will reward you, and God loves it, and there's also a way to do it wrongly, right? Secondly, he's going to talk about prayer. That's the next couple sermons. He actually gives us the Lord's Prayer, and he says, don't pray like the hypocrites who stand and pray loudly, and they say, oh, everybody praise me for my prayers, right? You've been in a, maybe a group like that where somebody prays really long. And you're like, dude, I feel like you're not praying. I feel like you're talking to me, right? You know, so he says, don't pray like that. Don't like, like a hypocrite, and then thirdly, he says, if you're fasting and not eating, don't disfigure your face, and it's like, oh, what's wrong? Oh, you know, I'm fasting today. You know, oh, wow, you're fasting today. You're so godly, right? He says, there's a right way and a wrong way to do all of that, and he starts with verse one here, which is gonna help us understand the whole passage. Look at it. It's uh, Matthew 6, one. Jesus says, beware, be careful, right? Danger, is what he's saying. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. So he says, be careful about this. There's something about doing good things in front of other people that is dangerous. Now, we just read the Sermon on the Mount and we just read in the last chapter where Jesus literally says, this is Matthew 5, 16. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who's in heaven. That sounds a little bit like a contradiction, doesn't it? Because Jesus literally tells you, Christian, you have to do good things in front of other people. You have to. Don't hide your light. You have to let your light shine so that people will see your good heart. No, not your good heart, your good works, your good deeds. You have to do it publicly. And then he says, be careful about doing it publicly. Right? Why? What's the difference? Well, in Matthew 5, 16, it says that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So, You should, as a Christian, do good things so that people will praise God, and that needs to be your heart motive, and if it's not your heart motive, God knows, and God's not impressed, which is why back in our passage, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before others. This is a very important phrase. In order to be seen by them, if your heart motive for the good things you do, it doesn't matter how good it is. It could be like a really, really good thing, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, I could deliver my body over to be burned. I could die for you. And if I don't do it out of love, I gain nothing. That's how serious God is about your heart motives. God doesn't only care about the external. He doesn't just care about the good works. He does care about that. But he also cares about the internal. Don't go the other way around and say, God just cares about your heart. He doesn't care what you do, right? Because that's unbiblical. But here's what's biblical. Jesus says, God will judge, and he knows, and he sees your heart and your actions. So if you want to be pleasing to God, your heart has to be in it, and your actions have to be in it. Don't tell me your heart's in it if your actions aren't in it, because they're not. But also, don't try to impress me with all the actions if your heart's not in it. God sees right through all that. He says, if you do that, there's no reward from your father who's in heaven. Think about how scary that is. That literally means there are people who serve their entire lives in church, who read their Bibles almost every day, who sing and, and do worship and, and, and come to things like this in the morning as a youth. And then they grow up and they go to church and they do all these things that maybe they serve, maybe they become pastors and they do all these things and they don't do it for God. God says, you have zero reward for me because you never did it for me. You always did it for you. If that's true of you, today is the day for you to get shaken up by this passage where Jesus is super clear. Today's the day to, re- to, to change that, to change your heart motives. Because look what he says next. He says thus, verse two, when you give to the needy, which is what he's primarily focused on. First thing is almsgiving, right? Giving to the needy. That was something that he does not command here. He just assumes that you're going to do it, right? He commands it, last chapter, when he says you should give to the needy, right? When there's people in your life that need something from you and you're able to meet the need, don't be the stingy person that says, well, what are you gonna give me back for that? Well, what are you gonna pay me in gas money? I'll take you, but you better, you better hold up your end of the deal. He says, no, no, just, just give. Just let them have what they need because if you can help, you should help. He says, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised with others. So, he's describing the situation, which is a little bit different than us. Imagine if, when you came to church, the rich people had a trumpet and they had it like their gold that they'd given the offering, and they'd say, Doo, do, do, do. "Hey everybody, hey everybody, look, 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 look!" Dump right? It'd be like that's pretty uh, arrogant, right? Now. I think Jesus is using figurative language here. I don't think people were blowing trumpets to announce their giving. There's no evidence for that in the Bible. So he's being figurative. But you know kind of what that looks like when someone does something good and they kind of announce it to everybody, right? Like, hey, look at this good thing I'm doing. Hey, look at this generosity I have. Look at all the good that I'm doing. Everybody, look, 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 right? You've seen that before. So he says, don't trumpet your giving like the hypocrites do, the hypocrite. The word hypocrite is very important. Uh, especially in today's sermon. Hypocrite basically means a two-faced person. Literally, in Greek, the idea was, it was actually not used very much in in the Old Testament. I mean, it's used a little bit, but the word in the New Testament was actually used to describe actors. So if you look in like classical Greek work that was done before the Bible, before the New Testament was written, it's always used to play actors. So play actors, if you know the history of all this in, in Greek, were there any women that were actors back then? No, all men. Right? So, what would they do to play pretend? They'd change their voice and they'd wear a mask. Sometimes they'd hold it, sometimes they'd strap it to their face. And the whole idea is there's a mask that's presenting something on the outside, but oh, all you gotta do is lift the mask. And guess what? That's not who they really are. So, the word hypocrite is that same word. It, it means the person who wears the mask, someone who's different on the inside than they present on the outside, the, 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 the backstabber, the two faced person, right? It says that's what hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. Places that they could give, right? And if you gave to the needy, sometimes they were in the synagogues, you'd blow your trumpet, right? Or figuratively speaking, there weren't real trumpets to do that. Um, Some people think that the way that they collected money was in this like brass basin. And when you threw your coins in, it would make a loud sound. And some people called that the trumpet. I don't know if that's true. That's what some people say. Who really knows? But the point is, Jesus is saying, don't announce all your generosity. And whether it's in the synagogues, at church, or in the streets, just out, you know, in the world don't do that why that they may be praised by others if that's the motivation when you give it's I'm giving because the transaction is I'm giving so that I'll get I'm giving so that I'll get I'm giving so that I'll get praise honor attention approval whatever it is, acceptance whatever the transaction is with other people if that's why you do good he says truly I say to you they have received their reward The word literally is the same word you'd use to talk about a receipt. It's like God's already given you your receipt. He's paid you back. It's all right there. God will not reward any good thing you do if you did it because you wanted other people to praise you. Full stop. Jesus could not be more clear. Is that not sobering? Right? Doesn't that make you at least step back and say, man, I served at that summer camp. Man, I I helped those those kids who needed it. Why did I do that? Did I do that? because I wanted everyone to praise me? Because if I did, Jesus is so clear here about you or about me. It's like, well, you've received your reward. What was the reward? You got praise. Oh, congratulations. Oh, you did that because you wanted people to praise you? God says, great, there you go. People praised you. That's it, that's your reward. Because why? That's what you were doing it for. So God says, why would I give you a reward for something that you didn't do for me? Right, because God sees right through it. That's why the whole point of this sermon is God sees right through all the hypocrisy, all the show. No one is impressing God here if you're doing it out of hypocrisy. He says, don't announce it. But verse 3, look what he says next. He says, but when you give to the needy, which he assumes that you will, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I think that's another figurative, you know, it's a figure of speech, right? Because first of all, does your left hand have a brain and your right hand have a brain, right? How do they know? Well, you're in one body, so you can't really not have both hands know what you're doing right? So what is he trying to say here? It's a figure of speech, which I think he kind of says it right here, um, so that you're giving maybe in secret. So the whole idea is, verse two, he says, hey, here's a way that you can protect yourself from hypocrisy. Stop announcing all your good stuff to everybody. Stop posting about all the Bible reading that you're doing. Maybe stop doing that because maybe that's not helpful for you, right? Stop sharing it with everybody. Stop telling everybody about what you're doing. Not that telling them is wrong, Not telling them is helpful because it takes away the temptation, right? So it can be in secret because God sees and he'll reward in secret. So don't announce to other people. But verse three really is trying to say, don't announce it to yourself. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. The whole idea is don't like contemplate all your generosity. Don't sit there and think, man, man, should I do this? Should I not do this? He's like, no, just give, right? If you can meet someone's need, don't sit there and do all the calculations of how much it's going to cost you. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Just, just give, if you know it's the right thing to do, right? I'm not talking about you know, taking all your life savings and bankrupting you and your family so that, you know, it's, I'm not saying that. But the point is you got a, a situation where you can help when you know you can help, and then you, if you wait on that, it's like when you stand, you ever uh, done any cliff jumping, cliff diving, right? You ever stand on the edge? How long c- should you stand on the edge, right? The longer you stand on the edge, the least le- less likely you are to actually jump, right? It gets scarier and scarier. So you just got to jump or, or don't jump. I'm not saying you should jump off every cliff. That's not, don't write that down. You know, is not the takeaway. But you understand what I'm saying, right? The longer you stand on the edge, the less likely you are to jump, right? Same thing with giving. If you know the right thing to do and you're like, I should do it, and then you don't, right? It's probably because you stood on the edge for too long. You let your left hand know what your right hand was doing. So don't announce it to yourself either. But you want it to be in secret. Verse four says, And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So this passage is not all bad. Some of us are like, man, John just said, God's not going to reward your good works. I didn't say that. Jesus, in fact, said, God will reward your good works if they were done for him. They're done for God. And God sees it. You don't have to keep track of all your good things. You don't have to keep a log. You don't have to keep a journal of all the good things you did. Because guess what? God is already keeping that journal whether it's a public thing or a private thing you do, you could just do it and forget about it because God will reward you. This is so important for us to get. This is so important for you as a high school student who goes to church to understand that hypocrisy, a double heart, a double life is such a real problem and such a real temptation. And the reality is many people in this room who look like Christians are not because of this problem right here, that this is just on the nose. And again, I don't know who those people are, right? You don't know who those people are, right? Unless it's yourself, because I can't read your heart and you can't read my heart and you can't read your friend's heart, right? But God sees right through it. And this is an important one for us because we sometimes forget about all this. We, we think, yeah, I can just coast. I'm gonna fake it till I make it. You can't do that with God. You can't fake it till you make it because God knows the whole time. This is a hard one, but some points I want you to write down Basically, verse one, two, three, four, those are our four points. First point from verse one is basically this, that doing good things for the wrong reason makes that thing bad, right? So point number one, here's how you write down. Beware of bad motives which spoil your good works. Beware of bad motives. And here, the the primary bad motive was praise of other people, right? And that's what we'll mainly talk about this morning, but there are other bad motives. You could uh, say a nice thing to manipulate someone for a wrong reason, an evil reason. And then guess what? If you were the judge and you saw everything, you'd be like, oh, well, that wasn't a really good thing though because they did it from a bad heart. God takes into consideration the heart and the actions. what we talked about at the beginning. Yeah, the difference is motive here. Praying could be sin. Did you know that praying could be sin? Do you know fasting could be sin for you? Do you know that singing worship songs could be sin for you? Do you know that helping a homeless person could be sin for you? Do you know serving in the kids' ministry could be a sin for you? Have you ever thought about that? Not that the action in and of itself, because all those things were good things, right? Those are righteous things. So I'm not saying those are unrighteous things. Here's what I'm saying. For you, it could be sin because if it's done with the wrong motive, that's exactly what Jesus says here. Wrong motive spoils it. God's word says this about God. 1 Samuel 16, 7, says the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance because that's all you can see, right? But the Lord looks on the heart. Yeah, Another. I want you to turn to this one. Let's look at this. Isaiah chapter one. This is in the Old Testament. I want you to see this. Turn to the left in your Bibles. Isaiah one, basically, if you look in the very middle of your Bible, you should find the book of Isaiah. We'll just turn right or left or really quick. If you turn right to the middle, you might be in Isaiah. But I want you to see this. very interesting. God speaks to his people, the Israelites, who are doing good things. They're sacrificing to him, like God said. They're coming to the worship service. So at this point in Israel's history, people were still going to church. It wasn't like a culture where everyone stopped going to church. Like People were going to church at this point. But God still says because of their sin, they might be going to church, but God's not happy with them. Look at this. This is Isaiah 1, starting verse number uh, 11. Isaiah 1, verse 11. One, one, one. He says, What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. What do I, what do I care about your worship songs? I don't, I don't care how many you sing, right? says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I've had enough. This is God speaking. Wow. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. It's like, I'm not interested in this. But if you're a Bible student, you say, no, but God, you said, you said that I'm supposed to, I wouldn't have done this if you didn't tell me to do this, God. Right? God says, when you come to appear before me, Who has required of you this trampling of my courts? He says, like your footsteps going into my house, it's like you're trampling in my house. And not that they're literally physically trampling, but that's how it's presented. God's like, that's what it's like when people come to worship. Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. I hate it. Abomination is like a strong word in the Bible to talk about something that disgusts God. Why is he saying, why is God saying this about worship? This is describing a worship service. It's like him coming to a church and saying, I hate the singing. I hate the preaching. I, like, whoa, like, I thought this was all good. I hate the serving. I hate all, this is God speaking. Why? Why does he say this? He says, I can't endure iniquity and in solemn assembly. That's the problem. That mingled with all the good is all this evil. And that makes me not even like the good. That's what God is saying. Verse 4, he says, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. Who's, who's speaking? This is God speaking. This is not Isaiah talking. This is amazing. I, I hope that you're as amazed by this as I am, right? This is God saying, I don't even like the feasts that I made, right? It's like, you came to my birthday party, and I hate that you're here, right? That's, that's what he's saying here. He says, because they have become a burden to me. i weary of burying them. I'm weary of burying them. When you spread out your hands, which was like what you did in in prayer and worship, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. I won't listen to you pray, is what God says. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen because those hands that you spread before me, they are full of blood. And that was the problem. These people, as they were going to worship God, they lived such unjust lives that they were treating people so badly, they had blood on their hands. So God says, do I wanna listen to your prayer when you got blood on your hands? You're lifting up high and holy hands. Oh, that looks really good. Well, your hands have just committed all this sin. There's all this disgusting things that you've done with those hands and you're gonna lift those hands to me in worship? That's what God's saying. He says, here's what you should do. Verse 16, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil learn to do good, seek justice, and correct oppression. It's not enough for you just to stop doing a bad thing. Repentance means now you're going to do the opposite. You're going you're to correct. You're going to pay back what you owe. You're going to do good, right? You're going to bring justice. In this case, for them, their sin was this. You're going to bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. What was happening in that day, we see in the book of Amos, where God's prophets say, the the rich people in the land were taking advantage of the poor people, so much so that he says, like you're selling them for like a, a, the, whatever a sandal is worth. That's what you sell the poor. Like you, you'll you'll take a slave or you'll you'll make someone a slave for the for the amount of like a sandal. How evil is that? God is saying. Look at verse 18. And then here's what God says next. He doesn't say, so I hate I hate you and I never want to talk to you. That's not what God says to these sinners. He offers them forgiveness. He says, "Come now. Let us reason together," says the Lord. "Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they shall become like wool." Right. Yes, you're a hypocrite perhaps. God says, "I can forgive you completely. I can wash you clean of that double life, but it starts with this. You got to deal with God. You got to repent." You got to say, yes, I'm living a double life. Yes, I need to repent. I don't care if everybody thinks I'm a Christian. I don't care if everyone thinks I'm godly. It's worth repenting and being clean before God. He says, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. So he says, your sins, they're like scarlet. They're like a stain, but God can wipe that stain out like nothing that you do can. If you are willing and obedient, Don't tell me that you're repentant and you want to be done with your double life. When right after today, you're going to jump right back into your double life. Then you're not willing and obedient, like God says here. But if you are willing and obedient, God will forgive you completely. If even you're the worst worst sinner, you think people would be shocked if they knew who I really was. God's word says, he will forgive you. But if you refuse and rebel, you'll be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That passage is just a, a really convicting one because it's all about a worship service amos 5 god says the same thing i i I hate the solemn assemblies malachi 1 10 god says oh that there were one among you that should shut the doors to the temple that you may no longer kindle fire before me on my altar in vain i have no pleasure in you says the lord of hosts i will not accept an offering from your hand i bring up all these really intense passages and i want you to hear them in an intense way why do i do that because I I want us all to be 100% certain that God is not fooled by any kind of religious hypocrisy. I'm fooled by some of you. I'm sure. I'm sure I think more highly of you than I should for some of you. Perhaps you think more highly of me than you ought to, right? We all do. This is just a common problem. We're probably more trusting of each other than God is of us because God sees right through it all. So I bring all those passages up to make the point of, you know, bad motives spoil good works, even if it's worship works. Right? Now, Jesus has more to say. He doesn't just say bad, bad, bad. He says, okay, what do we do about this next? Uh, the second point I hope is helpful for you because he says don't broadcast your works. Don't do it in front of everybody. Why? Be, not because secrecy is like the goal. He's not saying the ultimate goal is that everything you do is a secret. That's not what he's saying. He says the ultimate goal is that you do it for God. But if you sometimes can keep some of your works a secret, that will help you not become so proud. Because that's what happens. You do good things. You're generous. You, you, that's all great. But then you become proud of those things. So he says secrecy is a good short-term goal because the long-term goal is I want reward from God. right? So point number two from verse number two back in our passage, I want you to beware of broadcasting your actions for people's approval. That's, that's the problem. It's not even that broadcasting your actions is bad, right? Because you might, you know, put your thinking cap on and saying, John, aren't you doing that right now? Isn't the act of preaching broadcasting something? Isn't the act of singing a worship song and leading worship, isn't that broadcasting? It is. Here's what I'm saying, because this is what the text says. If you're doing it for people's approval, then that action, even if it was good, now becomes spoiled, right? Right? So it's all about motives, right? And that's, that's what we're always gonna be driving back to in this series. It's all about your motives. Why did you do it, right? Don't tell me, oh, you know, I got a lot, I'm bearing a lot of fruit, I'm doing really good. Well, why, why? If the answer is, well, because I want everyone to like me here at church. Well, then the motives are bad. And then that thing becomes not good. Now we don't have good fruit. But if it's, yeah, I'm doing it because I, I, I just, I wanna serve God. God's done so much for me. I just wanna serve him. Then even if you do a little small thing that seems insignificant, that becomes a big thing and a great thing. In God's eyes, because you did it for him. Yeah, don't trumpet around your giving. Reminds me of uh, all the people on social media who like excessively post about a boyfriend or girlfriend, right? Nobody likes those people, right? None of you are those people. But you know those people that are always like post after post after post like all the time. Not just like, I'm not saying the anniversary or the six month or whatever, you know, not that six months is an anniversary, just if you want to break down the word, anniversary means a year, so Whatever. For one month anniversary. Like, no, it's not. Like, that doesn't make any sense. I'm turning 100 years old today. It's my, it's my birthday, but I'm, I'm just 25. It's, it's my quarter century. Okay, no, whatever. Here's what I'm saying. Do you want to know something? Psychology Today did a study in 2018. And you know what Psychology Today found? That people who moderately post about a significant other that like mention them and that they're, they're there, but it's not excessive. Those people report the highest levels of, you know, satisfaction in their relationship, right? Whatever that means. But the people who post excessively about a significant other, always they report the highest level of dissatisfaction in their relationship. Why? The idea is because they're, they're compensating, right? They're coping as, as they say, right? They're just coping, right? Oh, my boyfriend's so amazing. He's the best guy. I was like, no, you don't even believe that. You just want to believe that. So you're gonna put it out there in the world and hope that it's true, right? That's coping, right? That is overcompensating, right? So if you ever wondered that, there is some data to, to back that. I bring that up because that's sometimes what people do when it comes to their relationship with God. They're, they're coping. They, they broadcast everything there is about them and God, they post about being at every conference, at everything. You know, This is so amazing. And not to say that that's wrong. It's not always wrong. But if the reason that it's done is for the praise of others and you're broadcasting it, and, and just notice, the people who are always broadcasting every good thing, right? I, I can't point to you and show you a psychology today study, but I think the same truth still applies to us. If you're a person who has to, every time you do good, it's like, I have to tell somebody. And then you tell your best friend, you tell your sister, you tell your spouse if you're a leader, right? You just have to tell them every good thing that you did, right? Do you understand what that's a symptom of, right? That's a symptom of, I want the praise and approval of other people, even if it's someone who's your friend or your spouse, right? Not that you have a spouse, but leaders, you have a spouse. You know what this looks like as a married person, right? You go have that debrief, right? You talk about it. Or some of you, you journal. Do you understand that for some of us, this is weird, but your debrief conversations with your friends about what happened with the other friend or you're journaling. Some of you, a righteous activity like journaling, where you write down all the good that you do. If what that is, and if the point and the motive behind that is because you want approval, even with the people that are close to you, and you want them to say, you're right, you're right, you're right, they were totally wrong, they were totally wrong, then was it really all that good what you did? It's just challenging. I think some ways for us to test this in our hearts is what makes you more sad? When people reject you or when you're concerned that you did something that God doesn't like? What makes you sadder? What makes you more satisfied? What makes you happier? When people approve what you do and appreciate what you did and like your post and do all that stuff? Or when you do something hard that you know God likes? What leaves you more satisfied at the end of the day? What makes you more anxious? When you're unsure about how people will respond to the thing you did? Or when you're not sure if what you did was right before God, what leaves you more anxious personally? What stops you from doing things you would otherwise do more effectively? When you know, oh, if I do that, oh, people won't like that. Socially, that's not good for me. Does that stop you more effectively? Or does the thought that, you know, this would not please God. God would hate if I did this. Which one of those two thoughts stops you from doing more things? That's a good test. Of this right here how much the approval of others other people not God but other people plays into your gymnastics of how you think about things Jesus said in another passage Matthew 23 he says woe to you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites he calls this group of people hypocrites why he says for you're clean on, he says you're clean on the outside of the cup and the plate but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence you blind Pharisee first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within they're just full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Hypocrisy means pretending to be something. Lawlessness means we're really not doing anything that God says. It looks like it on the outside, but in the heart we're not really doing that. Beware broadcasting your actions before other people because if the motive in your heart is is for other people's approval, that that can get really tricky. The third thing is very similar. I'd love for you to write this down for point number three. I want you to beware of replaying your righteousness in your mind. That's what verse three is all about. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Be careful because it's easy for us to just like remind ourselves and tell ourselves, man, I I gave that much. I did that thing. And the next time you see the person, you're thinking, I gave that. I did that. You know how much I've done for you? right? That kind of attitude. Be careful about that. That is letting your right hand know what your left hand did. That's replaying your righteousness in your mind. I had a professor at, at seminary who talked about this passage, and when he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so it can all be in secret, he says, you, you, if you're going to apply that literally, you need to have a lobotomy, right? You need someone to go in your brain and cut it in half for you really to literally not know what one side or another is doing. Then he said, i always remember this, he said, if your giving always has to be in secret for it to be good, then every time you help a homeless person or you drive someone to church, you better be wearing a ski mask and hiding your identity, right? And you better give cash only gifts and you better never give electronically online because you know, then maybe someone might see that it's you and you might get a giving report at the end of the, year." so a literalistic and understanding of this does not work, right? Your giving does not have to be in secret for it to be rewarded. That's not the point because secrecy is not the highest thing. What is the highest thing? Motive. But secrecy can help you with your motive. That's what Jesus is getting at. It reminds me, when you do taxes at some point, you have to report to the IRS what you made. And the funny thing is, if they wanted your money, it feels like they should tell you what you owe, right? But they don't do that. They... Say it's your job to figure out how much you made, your job to figure out how much you owe us, and then we'll check. And we may give you some back if you gave us too much, but most likely we'll take more, right? It's very funny how that all works. And you know, all the leaders are smiling because you're like, is that really how That is how it works. It's a real bummer, you know? Some of you will work in taxes because of that. You'll have your whole job will be helping people with taxes, and it'll be great for you, right, if you're into that kind of thing. But it's a real bummer, right? Um, You have to keep receipts, right? You have to know how much you spent on your business and how much you gave to charity, and how much you can write off. You have to do all this calculation when it's like, if you want my money, shouldn't you just tell me what I owe instead of me having to figure out what I owe? It just feels weird like that. Uh, I bring that up because God's word is basically saying, you don't have to keep track of your good works. You don't have to keep a log of them. You do not have to keep a journal of all the good things you've done. In fact, it'd be more helpful for you not to. Why? Well, because God is keeping tally. He is keeping track. There's not a single thing that you do. Remember the the scripture reading we just talked about where those people, God says, you, 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 you fed me when I was hungry. And they say, God, we never did that to you. What are you talking about? And he says, well, you did it to one of my brothers. So you did it to me. They didn't even realize all the good that they had done. They weren't thinking like that. They weren't entitled and thinking I did all these good things. So I deserve all this. They just did it and forgot about it. That's the right mentality. Don't you, at the end of all things, when Jesus evaluates your life, you're gonna have all these things that you did that you forgot about, good and bad, right? And sometimes we always focus on the bad, but you know, there's a lot of good things that you've done. I'm sure if you did it for God, there's good things that you've done that you just forgot about. And God will be like, you remember you did this? Like, oh yeah, forgot. You did this for me. That's, nobody saw that, but I saw that and I'll reward that that's what this passage gets to, right? Which is basically saying this, God will reward your good works, so you don't have to keep track of them on your own. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing because that's not helpful for you. Then you'll develop this pride and entitlement and self-righteousness that's like, but I deserve this because I did this. It's the wrong way of thinking. Point number four, basically I'm getting at this. I want you to trust God to remember and reward all your secret sacrifices. Just trust God. He will remember all of them and he will reward all of them. Scripture says this, whoever gives to the poor, right? People who need stuff, you give to them if you're generous. You're like lending money to the Lord and God will repay him. That's Proverbs. New Testament says this, Hebrews 6.10 says, God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you've shown for his name and serving the saints as you still do. God will never overlook a single thing. Every chair that you stacked on Sunday morning, if you did it for God, God will never overlook a single thing, not one. Matthew 10, 42, Jesus says, even if you give a cup of cold water to a disciple in my name, you did it for me, you'll never lose your reward. Not a single secret sacrifice will go unnoticed by God. And that's the whole point, isn't it? It's scary to know that God sees through all the hypocrisy, but you know what's really comforting? The other side of that truth There's not a single good thing you've ever done from a good heart that God doesn't know and that God won't reward. That's encouraging as a Christian And the way that he rewards, right? Notice the the language. It's all about a father, a father, a father, right? When, When Eden does stuff that I like and she shares, right? It was just like a new thing for her. She doesn't like to share. Obviously, she's two and her brother's one, Jordan. But when she shares, it's like I'll give Eden more stuff if she'll just share it. And I don't want to just reward, like, okay, what little thing did she give to Jordan? Okay, I'll, like, be very careful to only give her exactly what she gave. No, I'm, like, generous. Like, you can have way more because you gave generously. Like, the reward is, like, bigger than the thing that you gave away. Why do you think it's not like that with your heavenly father who sees your generosity and loves it? Don't you think that whatever God rewards you with in the end will be better than whatever you gave up? That's the way the scriptures promise this. Hopefully it's encouraging to you to do the right things for the right reasons this morning and for the rest of the week. This is so super important. We're gonna talk about this more. Um, we're gonna do small groups. We're finally back in small groups this Wednesday night, so we're gonna pray, and then we'll talk about this again on Wednesday night. Let's pray. God, please help us with this. It's a frightening truth to know that you know everything, but it's a comforting truth to know that you know everything. Just pray that we would give up any hypocrisy, any uh, two-facedness, and that we would just be genuine We'd be honest, we'd be forthright, we would be generous people who are willing to meet the needs of others. We're humbled by the passages we read, particularly in the Old Testament. We pray that our worship moving forward would only be that which is appropriate and only be pleasing to you and our service the same way. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.